We're in uh, Luke 5, and let's read verse 39. No man, also having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. The title is, The, the Old is Better. Now, to be able to get the, the context, the setting of the story, let's roll back to verse 27 and kind of pick up some of the scene rolling into this conversation. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me. Passage sound familiar to anybody else? Yes. This is the... Good. I was hoping someone would say yes. That's encouraging. It is the sister passage to uh, Matthew 9 that we were in this morning. And so this is the calling of Matthew. Uh, talking about like going back to previous services, I still got asked even this morning uh, what the, the word um, rima means. I never did like wrap back around to, to defining that. And so here's the idea. Remember like 20 years ago, there was this in our circles kind of a, a group of guys who kind of got on a bandwagon of agape uh, versus phileo love. Do you remember that? And it was always a big deal about making sure that the God, Bible said love. You've got to figure out which love. And Peter, lovest thou me? And, and then it didn't seem to be consistent with the whole scripture, but it was a big deal for like a weekend. And so that's, I think that's what this is, the idea of, of the word rima, just whenever the Bible, the New Testament talks about the word of God, it's either rima or lagos. And rima means like lagos is general words of God and lagos are... Lagos is general words of God. Rima is like specific words of God. I think it's going to last the weekend. I mean, it's the word of God. It's, it's, it's all precious. So I don't know. I, I think that's kind of why uh, it wasn't super familiar to us. It's because we read English. But <laughs> when you have to use a big word to define a simple word, I don't know the logic in that. I'm not sure. When you're, when you're using the word Rima to define the word word, it didn't help me much. That's, that's what it is. So now, now you know, in case. <laughs> I don't know in case what you'll use it for. The old, the old is better. 27, we read about Jesus calling Matthew. He left 28. He left all, rose up and followed him. Matthew left all and followed Jesus. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. Verse 30, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured. And this is the conversation that we, we discussed about the critics. And so after this conversation takes place, uh, verse 33, they ask another question of the Lord. They say, they said unto him, why do the, the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. Jesus gives them a more thorough answer to this question than he did the one before. And the reason being, I think, is that they included the disciples of John in this questioning. Uh, the disciples of John were also present. And I think the question was also kind of uh, ruminating in their own minds about uh, what, where, does, where does this tradition fall when it comes to being scripturally sound and kind of where, where should we land with this as well. So I think God entertained this question more that the Pharisees asked because of the disciples of John were present. And the Pharisees were masters at trying to pit the disciples of John against the disciples of Christ and trying to play the two parties against each other. And what an unfair way to ask the question and just kind of, I mean, it'd be like, why, why do the Muslims wear dresses and the Baptist ladies wear dresses? I can't really answer that. Like, 
what are you doing clumping us all together in the same category just because there's a dress? Like, it doesn't quite work. So God, I think, he, he divides the, the topic and he gets down to the root of the question and he tries to help the disciples of John understand this. And, and the topic tonight is going to be our relationship with our church. Your relationship with, with the church, with your God, with your religion, and just having a, a proper purpose behind what you do. This, this question about, so we have Matthew at his house, and he was a publican, yes? And he's eating, and the Pharisees, they're all upset because the disciples of Christ are eating, but this is their day to fast, and they didn't get fair warning that this day was coming. It, yes or no, did Matthew know he was going to get called this day? No, he wasn't planning on having any kind of a celebration or any type of gathering. It just was spontaneous. It happened, and he did it. And now the Pharisees are like, wait, there's a party going on. There's food there, and we can't eat it because we're set to the strict twice a week we fast, and this is one of the days. This is so unfair. And also the disciples of John were also fasting that day too, just kind of feeling left out. So they bring the question, hey, why aren't your disciples fasting too? We feel like they should have be under this kind of same, same guideline. And so... The idea is when it comes to church, when it comes to religion, when it comes to just your walk with God, it's not about guidelines. It's not about habits. It's about a relationship. And to have a good relationship, you've got to have an understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it. The Bible says in, in Proverbs, a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. I'm concerned that sometimes teenagers especially have bad attitudes about church, about dress, about rules, about policies. And the reason is not necessarily because they themselves are rebellious. They just lack the understanding to preach something without teaching something. To be able to say, you follow this rule, you follow this rule, that's great when you're little. But as at a point when you grow up, it's not just about following the rules, it's about understanding the principle and the reason behind the rule. And sometimes people come through the ranks all the way up to adulthood and there's still a lack of understanding. And all of a sudden a bad spirit kind of sweeps across a family or an individual and just like, this is wrong. Maybe it's a lack of understanding. And that's why there's a lack of an excellent or good spirit. And so God says, let me give you some understanding behind this idea of fasting. So he goes back um, and, he, and he draws a couple pictures. He gives some illustrations to be able to help them understand the purpose behind it. This passage reminds me of another time when there's a publican and a Pharisee meeting together and fasting comes up. It's found over in Luke 18. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it, just some portions to you. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee, the other a publican. In verse 12 of Luke 18, he says, I, the, publican, uh, the Pharisee says, I fast twice in a week. In the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee said, I fast twice in a week, and I give tithe of all that I have. Which one of those two is the sinful one? Neither of them. Which one is the bad thing? Neither. The, the danger in just getting into a rhythm, what, what do we do twice a week? Usually come to church. I go to church twice a week. I'm not discouraging you from doing that at all. I don't want to be an Orthodox Baptist, though. Just come to church. This is what we do. It's fasting day. It's church day. Is there any meaning behind this? 
And God concludes this whole conversation with, the old is better. It's not going to conclude with, huh, you probably don't really have to come to church twice a week because it's, no, you, the old is better. The, the, the thing that you're doing is excellent, but come at it with some purpose. And so when they say, well, why aren't, he, why aren't your disciples fasting? God didn't say, well, fasting is Old Testament or fasting is no good anymore. Fasting is still good, but there's got to be purpose behind it. There's got to be a reason behind it. It can't just be twice a week because that's, we do that because we do. We don't just come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays because, well, that's what we do. No, if you're going to behave like that, you're not going to receive anything from the word of God when you come. You're not coming re, uh, re, re desiring anything. You're not coming but just because of habit. And so the idea is the relationship and, and the conclusion is this, just so you're not nervous, the old is better. I remember when I first got hired on at Trinity, I decided to revisit all of the traditions that my church practiced in Illinois under Pastor Gomez. And it wasn't to be critical of them or to try to opt out of any of it. It's just this is my first time in my life in a new church, 23 years under the same preacher, under the same church, and the same kind of template. And then my routine changed just a little bit. Brother Smith and I were talking about how, where did he go? I want to spot him. About how the standing of the reading of God's word. At Trinity, if the Bible starts to be read and the pastor didn't say, please stand, the people just automatically stand. It is, you always stand for the first scripture. You just do it. Now here at Heritage, we don't do it. But you understand that if, you, if your whole life you grew up in, we always stand, we always stand, you go to a new church and they don't stand, you're like, hey, which one's right? You go to a new church and you're just like, um, I don't, I want to know why we do what we do. Here's one, of, here's one of the categories that I looked into was our invitation time, our altar call. And I understand the principle, Old Testament and the altar and the sacrifice. But our kind of modern adaptation of an altar call, where did that come from? I found mourner's benches that the, the Catholics and the Protestants used, and, and that didn't seem quite like how we would have an altar call. It was different. And I ended up coming across Charles Finney back in the late 1800s, and he was an evangelist in America, and he would travel around, and he would preach, and, and, and the best I can gather is this. Here's, here's what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to not do invitations. I was trying to have invitations with purpose. If I'm going to be the one establishing a service, I want to know why I do this, not just because my father did it or my pastor did it. I want to do it because it has reason, it has purpose behind it. If I'm going to fast, I'm not just going to give up food just because, well, it's tradition. Uh, because it's very easy to opt out of tradition. Teaching for uh, doctrines of God, the traditions of men. We don't want to do that. We want to know it's from God. So Charles Finney, he's preaching in a... In a, in a He's an evangelist, he's preaching in a meeting, and this guy comes up to the pulpit and he says, Brother Finney, I need to be saved. And he's in mid-sermon. And this, Brother Finney, I need to be saved. I need to be saved right now. So what do you do as a pastor? Do you just tell the crowd, everybody just stop, I'm going to talk to this one individual? Or do you tell him to wait because there's an audience? And this wasn't an isolated event. It kept on happening to him over and over. People kept on coming forward. And mid-sermon, and, and he said, okay, I've got to establish some type of a, a structure to be able to handle this. And he, and he said, I'm going to clear some spots in the front. I want, when I go to meetings, I want the front row or the front two rows to be cleared. I want as people to become forward, I want them to be able to sit there and I can deal with them personally. But I want them maybe to collect them at the very end of the sermon and, and we have an opportunity. And kind of the altar call, and, and he would say, look, if you would like to, there will be an opportunity for you to come forward. 
I will have an opportunity, there, there's a spot ready, there's a time in the service that has been set up for this purpose. And it seemed a lot like kind of how we structure an invitation in our own churches today. I said, that just makes sense. It, 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 now I do it with some purpose behind it, some meaning. And the same idea goes when it comes to the old is better. Sometimes we look at the old and we say, I'm, I'm all for it. I believe in it, but I want to know the why. I want to have an excellent spirit. I want to have a conviction about this. And so when Christ talks to these men, he says in verse 33, verse 34, he said unto them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. So Christ decides to give an illustration and he says, uses an event that's very familiar to the people. It's a wedding. My, my cousin, I remember visiting Poland, and I, I, my cousin showed me her wedding dresses. Now, she's only been married once, but she had multiple dresses. The, the culture is that a wedding is typically three days long. You have your traditional wedding dress, but the celebration lasts for three solid days, and you have multiple dresses that you'll change into because it's three days long. The tradition of this was typically a week-long wedding. And I, from what I gather, the idea is that it was highly inappropriate to go to this celebration and to decline food, to be able to have a face of mourning. It was all supposed to be about the event and the couple that were wed. It wasn't about you. And so you were to be able, and the wedding, you knew it was coming, you prepared for it. Unlike this celebration that Matthew had had at his house, the guys were caught off guard. And so they would be ready for it. And the Lord said, look, it would be wrong for the wedding party, and he said, for the, the children of the bride chamber to fast while the bridegroom is with them. And they said, of course it'd be wrong. He said, look, the, the reason you fast is to be close to Christ. I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right next to them. It would be inappropriate for them to fast at this time. It's purposeless. But there's going to be a time where it's, there's going, it's going to be needful for them. I'm going to go away, and they're going to need to have some times of fasting. But right now, it, it doesn't have a purpose behind it. If I'm sitting at the table with my wife, and I want to talk to her, it's kind of inappropriate for me to call her on the phone. <laughs> the whole reason I would call her is because there's a separation, a distance between us. The reason you fast it's because there's a distance between you and your Savior. Now, just to clarify it, fasting doesn't mean that you get to demand an audience with Christ. I, I feel relatively young and strong until I miss a meal, and then I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> I feel like a near-death experience. Seriously, I, I'm always hungry. I wake up hungry, and if I don't eat within like the first 10 minutes of waking up, I get like hangry, I think is the word. I, got, I, I just like eat. Anybody else, you're a breakfast person, it's absolutely necessary? Okay, good. No? Wow, oh, wow. I think we're in the minority, the breakfast people. Where am I going with breakfast? I got so distracted by this food. <laughs> Fasting. I think it brings an awareness of the fragility of life. You feel strong, you feel vibrant, and you miss a meal or two, and you're just like, wow, I am very weak. I am very needy. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> See, the angels are coming for me. Um, and it brings, you, brings about this awareness, this, it identifies in your own spirit how much you need him. 
And the idea is it's, it's meaningful. And he said, it's, it would be inappropriate, men, for my disciples to fast right now. You understand that? He gives two more illustrations, and these are, these are, to me, a little bit more difficult to unpack. Verse 36, he spake also a parable unto them, no man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. I've, in reading this passage, I've seen this passage used to be able to support the idea that the Old Testament was better than the New Testament. I've seen it used to be able to say, hey, look, you've got to totally do away with the old and just embrace anything that's new and trending. It's, it's been leveraged for so many uh, nefarious purposes. The, from what I, I gather in this passage, the idea of the old versus new he is no way advocating for, for the idea of a, a new brand of church or new brand of Christianity. But the idea of this, of trying to throw a young Christian right into old practices is not always healthy. It, there's, the practice itself is good. Let's talk about fasting. Man comes down, he gets saved, he gets baptized. Monday morning, let's fast. That's tough. What did I just get myself into? Now, I'm not at all going to say, look, I, I think fasting's bad. It's just the appropriate time. I think a little bit about the idea of Isaiah 28, 9 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. You establish principles, you, you foundational truths, and you build on these truths. If you're building on traditions, and sometimes good traditions, sometimes biblical principles, but you didn't establish the principle behind it, you just established the policy. And it kind of builds this individual with this very narrow base, and they grow out from here, and it's a very unstable way to have a Christian grow in their life. You establish a baseline. Does that make sense to you? And the idea is, that, look, uh, the, the idea of putting... No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both, uh, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, or else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. The whole thing is going to be upset. Um, so for, for those of, of you that might be young Christians, you're young in the Lord, I want you to fully embrace this truth. The old is better. Be here long enough to be the old. Amen. Don't bail early on because you're like, what, fasting? I can't do that. No, just, just embrace what you can, accept what you can, apply the truths that you know, and start just living out those in your life and stay around for a little bit. Teenagers, young people, stay around for a while and be able to accept the idea that growing old in the Lord and in the church and being here for a long time, it's better. Don't be enamored by new. The old is better. Stick around. It's just better and better. Don't be satisfied, though, with perpetually being young as a Christian. Decide to grow. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this, And when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, 
which be the first principles of the oracle of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. At some point, the tables should turn where you're no longer having to be held by the hand. When my daughter started to walk, it was adorable. Chloe, she started walking at eight months. Like, I know, just started cruising. I don't know, she's just, go get her. And, and look, <clears throat> when she started walking, we clapped for her, we cheered for her, we were encouraging her to do more and go farther. You know what I don't do now? I don't clap for her and cheer for her when she walks around at nine years old. That's just awkward. <laughs> and if, if you're here on a Sunday night service and this is one of your first evening services to be a part of, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to clap for you and cheer for you and tell you that's incredible. Keep it up. If you've been here for two, three, four, 15, 20 years, you know what's awkward? Come on, you can come back on Sunday night. That's wonderful. <laughs> Grow up! Don't be perpetually young. Don't be a fledgling Christian. Have some, some substance about you that you can serve the Lord with. And you can actually have something substantial about your Christianity, so much so that you can give out without just deflating completely. At some point, the tables should turn where you're being able to hold somebody else's hand and say, look, let me guide you along because I have a little bit of strength about me. I have some maturity about my Christianity. At some point, the tables should turn on that. And the idea of the old is better. Go ahead and stay around so you can be the old. Go ahead and grow up. Teenagers, grow up before you become an adult. Mature as a Christian. Mature as an individual before you reach a magic age of 18. Be used to God where you're at right now. And as a, a person young in the Lord, grow up in him. Learn what that means. And don't be satisfied in being young in the Lord for, perpetually. And so for those of, the, of, of you that are young in the Lord tonight, I want to encourage you to, to stick around. The old is better. And don't be satisfied in being just young your entire life. If you're old in the Lord, if you've been a part of this for a while, let them, others, see that the old is better. It's a statement we read in the Bible. It's something that we can preach. But does your demeanor convey that same message? Or does it just look like you're fatigued with this? That it's just a, a burden on you? Sometimes I think the way that Christians talk, it does discourage others from continuing in the Lord. Oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's tough being a Christian. And it's easy not being a Christian? Huh? devil's just after me all the time. You know what the devil hates? Not just Christianity. He hates humanity. Amen. You're not going to get a buy by opting out of church. And for, for you to, to be a pair the idea of the devil and Christianity in church with difficulties and trials and fatigues and stresses is sometimes an unfair pairing. And it translates to the young as, you know, this is just... It's, it's the right thing, but oh, it's no good. No, the old is better. And if it's not getting sweeter and sweeter as the days go by, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you should reevaluate. I think that the world has marketed young love as being the pinnacle of a relationship, that, that newlywed. But listen, it should, your love should grow the longer you're together. <laughs> convince me of that let me see a couple that's older and in love with each other 
Let me see a couple that you say, look, this has happened. Our maturity, we've matured. Our relationship is stronger. And if you were to go stand, stand side by side with a newlywed in your relationship, there'd be no doubt the old is better. And, and it would encourage some young couple to grow old together. And you don't, what you don't do is you, you don't get fatigued in a relationship and say, I'm just going to go to something new. Right? We understand divorce is not an option. Right? You fix you. you. You fix this relationship. And your relationship with your church and with your God, you don't say, oh, it's fatiguing. I'm going to bail and go find something new because it's, it's just a, a more exciting because new love or young love. No, the old is better. The old is better. And you need to stick with the old. You need to learn what it means to grow up in him in all things. The Bible says in this, in Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Don't fail to see the goodness of God in every day-to-day -day life. And, and sometimes as a Christian, we, a young Christian, they come in and they see something that we have seen a million times, and, but it's brand new to them and it's special to them and, and there's just an excitement level. When was there an excitement level back in your heart and your spirit? Sometime you read something in the Bible and said, I never realized, I never saw, this is amazing. The last time you spent time with your Savior, with your Creator, and it was just a special fellowship. It was something that was just so special to you. When is the last time that happened for you, older Christian? When's the last time you came to church and you just said, I was moved, I was convicted, I had my life changed at this service? No. Fast two times a week, that's what we do. We go to church, and, and there's a young Christian by you that's just so excited, and they look down the row and they say, oh, they never move, they never smile, they hardly sing. Hmm, I guess it kind of just wears off as the longer you're around. That should not be the case. Yeah, I guess your marriage, it just kind of fades off until you die. No, no. If that's how your marriage is going, revisit the things that you did to fall in love together. And you, you ignite, and whatever you did to fall in love with God, and whatever God did to be able to draw you to himself, you revisit those things, and you make this thing real and this genuine. Because we're not just about creating habits. It's about a relationship. The old is better. Don't revert to the young just because you think it was better back then. Don't begrudge the young. Sometimes... We look at the young and we say, man, they should know better. That, go ahead and, I, once again, I heard a, a preacher say something about the line, along the lines of, I'd rather have an old boy who's trying to do something for God who falls off the wagon once in a while than an old Christian who never moves. And the idea is just, you know what? Why don't you, you encourage the young Christian who's not doing everything right, who doesn't have all of their I's dotted and their T's crossed, and why don't you just give them a thumbs up for what they're doing right? Stop glaring at them for what they're doing wrong. Give them some time to grow old in the Lord. Give them that opportunity. Don't begrudge it when, when you have... The sign of a healthy church is when there is old, established people and then there's young, unestablished people, whether it's by age or by spiritual age. It's a sign of a healthy church. And, and here's what we will not do. We will not suppress the old in order to make the young feel more comfortable. It is what it is. The old is better. And I hope that you stay around and you grow in the Lord long enough to realize that. 
oh, well, well, we don't want the new Christian to feel awkward. Well, it is what it is. We're going to live out the principles of God's word. The, the, once again, the, the church structure is designed for the church, the family of God. And the lost world's not going to understand a lot of what goes on. It's not going to immediately make sense to them. Uh, <laughs> something about his spirit beareth witness with our spirit. Uh, worship him in spirit and in truth. And so for us to be able to manipulate everything to try to make a lost person feel a little bit more welcome, a little bit more comfortable, try to take away that uncomfortable edge, all we're doing is diluting the old. And the old is better. We keep it. We preach it. We live it. But you don't begrudge the young. Does that make sense? The old is better. Don't let it become tradition for you. For those that are old in the Lord... The Pharisees' problem was just tradition. That's all it was. Do it two times a week. I fast. I tithe. That's what I do it. May it be something about a relationship. God addressed it because the disciples of John were there. And he said, I want to look at this together. No man put his new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst. He says, guys, there, there's, there's got to be establishing of a truth, and we build on these things. He says, but new wine must be put into new bottles and both are preserved. And he adds this at the very end, no man also, having drunk old wine straightway, desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. I want you to be convinced in your spirit that growing old in the Lord is better, that your relationship with him is, is growing. When relationships start to go stagnant, they do start to digress. I think it's backsliding. And you have got to push against the current and say, I'm going to grow in the Lord and I'm going to grow old in him, mature in him, and it's, it's better. And I'm going to find out, I'm not going to fail to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to identify how special attending church is. I'm going to go back to the word of God and realize that this is a relationship and this is God's word. I'm going to spend my time in prayer. I'm going to sing hymns and it's, I'm going to be making melody in my heart to the Lord. I'm not just going to be repeating these words that I've repeated dozens of times. It's going to be real to me again. And I'm going to be a testimony example to the young coming in, the young in the Lord, that it just, just gets better and better and better. Sometimes we are enamored with the new. You know, Capital City Baptist Church, it's, it's, it's fresh as far as the building. It's, it's brand new. It's, we're, we're, but you know what it doesn't have? People, ministries. No one's ever been saved in that building. We never had a, a whole herd of bus kids run through and destroy it yet. <laughs> There's no sign of fatigue or wear or stress on the building. And you see it is so happy and shiny. And you know what's better? It's better to have a ministry with people that are growing in relationships and, and, and full buildings where it's being used. And I'm looking forward to the day where a capital city is old. And heritage has been duplicated. A church with history and with strength and with ministries and the old is better yes. but you have to be young before you can be old and to encourage the young in the Lord if you're old in the Lord don't begrudge the young 
don't let it just become routine. Don't at all forget the idea that the old is better. Don't lose sight of that. And if you're young in the Lord, stay around because it is better. It gets better and better. Would you stand with me as we pray?